Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an episode of Smith Cyclopedia, the only podcast on the internet fully devoted to the Smiths. Today, I have on with me a guest, Ethan Segmiller. Ethan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, um, well, I am also a big fan of the Smiths. Um, good friend of Kaz's. Um, I'm just super excited to be on the episode today. I'm excited to talk about these early recordings um, and uh, just get right into it. I, I'm one thing that is good to know about me is that I'm a, a sucker for some some early demos as far as artists and bands go. Yeah, and I mean that's uh, that's part of the reason why you're on here today. What are we what are we going to be talking about, Ethan? We're going to be talking about the early demo tapes of uh the smiths um of johnny marr and morrissey and their drummer and guitarist before andy rourke and uh mike joyce yeah i'm super super excited about it um it's now been uh two weeks of me just going over these uh these recordings um because we tried to record this last week and we just had a problem with our audio <laughs> and so we decided well instead of trying to like go back and fix it why don't we just re-record the episode and i think honestly like i feel so much more like prepared and excited to talk about it today so i think it's for the better oh yeah no i i totally agree like having had two weeks now to go over these recordings again yeah it's almost like oh yeah like even more uh, prepared and enthusiastic about these recordings. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's start off by just kind of giving an introduction to you, I guess. Uh, it's hard to really understand like where somebody is coming from on their perspectives if they don't understand that person. So who are you? How did you get into the Smiths? How do you know me? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, um, you know, it, it all begins in a small town, as they say. Actually, it was the suburbs. Um, yeah, I, I was uh, grew up in Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, so I've kind of been around music uh, forever. Um, you know, from my earliest days, I can remember, you know, listening to music from my parents and from friends and from, you know, artists on the radio. Um and I've always just been really inclined towards uh, music. And then around, I would say, probably 7th or 8th grade uh, was when I kind of went beyond, you know, whatever was just on the radio or, you know, whatever my, my parents were listening to. And I kind of started striking out on my own and discovering uh, new music. And I got really into alternative, um, just all sorts of, uh, sort of hidden gems of bands and artists that, you know, nobody talked about because, um, you know, I, I hadn't found the right crowd yet who was into bands like the Smiths or the Cure or, uh, Joy Division, just stuff that I, I thought I only knew about until, of course, meeting, uh, people like Kaz and, a few other friends. Um, yeah, and I, I met Kaz at BYU uh, in Provo, Utah two years ago? A year and a half ago? Something like that. Yeah, and we... I remember we met at a church event and just kind of, like, really quickly uh, hit it off just in terms of uh, music. I, I had heard you yeah. mention that you were starting a band... And instantly I was like, oh, I got to talk to this guy. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how, how that happened. Yeah, I remember, uh, I remember like on my end, you invited me to like uh, to a game night or party or something that you were throwing at your house. And you had like, you had this playlist that was playing and I was like, this is some pretty good stuff. And I was like, hey, Ethan, we had maybe talked like once before. I was like, can I take a look at this playlist and I'm going through it and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like so much of this stuff is like stuff that I love. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like sunflower bean is on here and I love sunflower bean. And I was like, <laughs> suddenly I noticed like in the corner of the room, there's this stack of records and like, uh, 
and I'm just noticing like the way that you're dressed and I'm like, oh wait, okay, I I get it now. This is like this is a person that I could relate to, like in terms <laughs> of like alternative stuff and yeah. It it was just a cool cool moment. It was a it was uh instant friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least instant kinship. <laughs> and then long long lasting it seems since then. Yeah. It's especially impressive that, you know, we, all right, frankly, I suck at being friends with people that don't live within, like, 15 minutes of me. Um, I I, I suffer from the same thing. It's impressive that we've been able to stay such good friends, despite the fact that we live on opposite sides of the country. Yeah, very true. It's uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun to know that I still have some good friends out west. Yeah, you you couldn't see it because it's an audio format, but I just did a little little fist pump. Think uh, think Andy Rourke in the making of the Meat Is Murder video, which I can't link or can't put into the podcast because that's also <laughs> a visual joke. You look it up later, I guess. <laughs> um. All right. So Ethan, what was your introduction to the Smiths? Was there like a certain song that got you into it or like maybe you just were introduced by a friend what's uh what's the inception of it okay so the my story of how i discovered the smiths is sort of interesting um i think discovering the smith well well yeah i think discovering the smiths was kind of my first introduction to this idea of like an alternative uh music scene apart from you know radio hits and just uh chart toppers and stuff like that um so i remember so in order to sort of explain what i mean i i kind of have to go back a little bit um but i'll make it brief so when i was a kid i was really into anything like 80s music like, I loved, you know, all just the classic 80s hits and stuff. Like, because that's what my parents listened to. And so that's kind of just what I grew up listening to. Um, and there was a radio station in our hometown called uh, 96.3 Jack FM. Um, and it's basically just this, um, the, the, the tagline for the channel is, uh, or for the station, rather, is playing what we want. So uh, playing what we want really just translated to our favorite like 70s 80s and 90s stuff Mm -hmm. so it's basically like a like a throwback uh radio station and i would listen to that every day uh like just devour all these songs that i thought were so cool um you know and so it was thanks so this is fast forwarding a little bit it was thanksgiving of i don't remember what year i would have been in middle school though um so it's Thanksgiving. We just finished eating. We just kind of like cleaned up like the dining room and the kitchen and everything. Everybody was sort of just chilled out, um, you know, napping. And I was taking a nap and I, I like to listen to music when I am sort of like taking a nap or chilling out. And so I had my headphones in my corded, uh, Apple headphones that I had to like thread through my shirt and put into my ears, uh, yeah. on my like iPod touch two or three um and i had uh pandora and so pandora had a jack fm radio station i put that on and for some reason like i there it was like british week or something like that it was like what they had been like describing it was british week it was british week it was like um yeah like something it was like some event where they were just playing like because i that same day like they were playing <laughs> They were playing like Supergrass and uh, the Verve pipe, not the Verve pipe, the Verve. The Verve pipe is not British. <laughs> um, the Verve and like uh, Blur and all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh yeah, this is cool stuff. And the first song that came on, I'll never forget it. This is crazy. I was listening through my headphones and I turned on the station, and the first thing I hear is this like. I didn't know like how to describe it at the time, but at the time I would have described it as like wavy sort of like pulsy guitar sounds. I didn't know that it was a guitar cause it didn't sound like any guitar that I'd ever heard before. Um, 
and of course it was uh I'll I'll try and like pantomime it, but it was like and then the sound that kind of sounded like a train horn i was like why is it and it goes and it was how soon is now by the smiths um and in nothing the, was the, in the same. edit i'm gonna see in the edit i'm gonna see if i can like make that go back and forth like you doing the <laughs> you know yeah Anyways, oh like between continue. the two yeah 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 you should yeah. <laughs> That would actually be really funny. Um, but yeah, it was it was How Soon Is Now by The Smiths. And I I remember I was like, this is a really cool song. And I remember that it was long. Like, it was longer than, like, most songs that I was used to. And so I looked it up on iTunes. And I discovered the band The Smiths. And I thought it was weird because it was this band from the 80s. But they didn't look like any band from the 80s that I was used to. Like, they weren't wearing, like, the, like, talking heads, like, you know, shoulder pad suits. They didn't have, like, crazy Motley Crue hair or, you know, anything like they that. Didn't they didn't have uh, John Taylor's, like, rolled up suit sleeves. <laughs> no, no, they didn't have anything like that. They, they looked like they went to, like, the Harvard, like school of english or whatever like they looked like i I, there was a a banner like a picture of the band and morrissey had these like big chunky glasses and like he was in a sweater and like they all just looked like like they were just normal people i was like that's so weird like they look like they could be like around today like this like people still dress like that just like normal folks and i was really intrigued by that and that was sort of how i got onto this uh discovery of uh, stuff that was revolutionary at the time at their time and even now like it's just so many people are changed by the smiths it feels like oh yeah definitely you know what i mean yeah it's the maybe smiths... that's me being pretentious <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i no i, th- I think that it's true. i think there is like a certain like I guess, like, scene surrounding the Smiths that can sort of be seen as protected. But no, like, I think the music of the Smiths and, like, the the stuff that they created, yeah, I think it definitely is, like, very life-changing if you listen to it. It's kind of one of those, like, coming-of-age bands, I feel like, once you discover them. I think I've talked about this in a previous episode, but I would always bounce around from, like, band to band, like, oh, this is my new favorite band for this set of three months, or this is my new favorite band. Um... But, like, when I got to the Smiths, it just kind of stuck. <laughs> like, it, and since the time I've been, like, what, 15 or 16, it's been, like, the Smiths and Suede just, like, constantly at the top of that, like, musical pyramid for me, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and side note for the listeners here, I, I had no idea who Suede was until I met Kaz. This is just like a side story. Um, you can edit this out if you want to. This is off topic. But I I remember um, the first time meeting Kaz, we, I mean, we were just talking about the Smiths. Um, I think this is after that game night that I've... I th- this was after, and you had invited me over to your record night, and mm-hmm. we were going through your records, and you had, like, all of the Smiths, everything. And I was like, this is so freaking cool. Um, and you were you were like, yeah, I think my favorite band would either be the Smiths or suede. And in my head, when I heard the word suede, I was thinking blue suede, mm-hmm. like the band that does hooked on a feeling. Yeah. Like, Ooga Chaka, Ooga, Ooga, Ooga yeah. Chaka. I was like, mm, okay. Like, yeah, like the Smiths are definitely better, but like, yeah, that's cool. But I didn't <laughs> know that you were talking about a band called suede. And so that was a whole nother discovery that we can get into another time, but uh, yeah, lots of, wonderful recommendations from my good friend here oh thank you i think uh i i can't remember if it was that same night where i essentially said you're not allowed to leave my apartment and then i like sat you down and i put on like this uh this dvd of like this dvd of uh of a film that went along with uh suede's album night thoughts but Honestly, I feel like that's that's a pretty apt representation of who I am when it comes to music. Is it's just like I am so sorry you've 
fed into my obsession and now you have to deal with the consequences you have to <laughs> you have to experience this with me yeah <laughs> so you've been a smiths fan for a while what would you say like your favorite smith songs are just like because um, obviously like how soon is now you know wildly influential and in you like becoming a, a fan of the smiths is there one where you're like uh this one just means so much to me in my heart Ooh, yeah so there's there's a few smiths tracks that i i really love um i think one of them would definitely be uh last night i dreamt somebody loved me from Ooh, strange ways classic yeah, I just love the instrumentation of that one. I love that it doesn't start immediately. Like, I love that whole introductory sort of soundscape with just, like, the soft piano. I think that's really cool and beautiful. And I, I always have to listen to that one all the way through um, whenever it comes on. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just a, along with the whole Strange Ways album, um, yeah, that track always... I always come back to that one um, just for the, the shimmering... Um, you know, silky beauty of it. I just really love that song. The shimmering, <laughs> silky despair of last night I dreamt somebody loved me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's that's another thing. Sort of the the melancholy sort of uh, woven into these really lush, beautiful uh, instrumentations. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, you know, melancholy sort of song. And speaking of melancholy, I think we're going to be talking about melancholy a lot today. Do you want to? <laughs> yes. Do you want to get into our uh, our topic at hand? Yeah. So we today, let me pull this back up. We're talking about uh, the early demo tapes of the Smiths and the songs in question on those tapes. Let me just pull this list up here again. Uh. Yeah, so two songs that we got later on and one song that I think was recorded and then they didn't do anything with again. And then a fourth one that I, I forget. This is one that we haven't heard ever. Let's, uh, let's give a little bit of backstory or introduction to, uh, to these tracks. So when the Smiths formed... It was pretty much Morrissey and Marr, and then they were scrambling for a rhythm section. So they got this guy, uh, Cy Wolsencroft, and he kind of played drums for a little bit. He wasn't super into it. He pretty much just did it for uh, for these demos and because um, Johnny Marr brought him a giant bag of weed. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding about that. That's I just read... Johnny Marr's autobiography studying for this last night and he was like yeah he was convinced to do it after I brought him like the biggest bag of weed I can find <laughs> um, but the basis that they brought on was this guy named Dale Hibbert and Dale worked at this place called Decibel Studios in Manchester this was pretty much like them going like okay well we need uh we need to make some demos partially so that uh the rhythm section can learn what to play for the first gig that we've booked at the Ritz. Um and so that's where we get the first recorded piece of Smith's music ever which actually is a cover. Um <laughs> So this is of course I want a boy for my birthday by the Cookies. Um, the first incarnation of the Cookies, if I'm correct. Uh-huh. And basically, this tape was just held by Dale Hibbert for so, so, so long. He was just holding on to it. I think he posted, like, a few snippets of it, and maybe he sold the tape eventually to, like, a Smith collector. But finally, only, like, a few years ago, 2019, at very end of 2019... Um, Dale uploaded it onto his, uh, his YouTube channel, which now obviously he's not a musician. He didn't end up playing with the Smiths. Um, but 
he does run like this coffee house restaurant thing called Domu. And this is what he says in the description of uh, his video. Recorded in a porta studio in Johnny's bedroom in Bowden. The idea being that I would take it away and add a bass line. I'd picked up Steven on the way. Steven obviously referring to uh, Stephen Morrissey. Uh, I was I was in Charlton. He was in Stretford uh, on my motorbike. And we zoomed down to Bowden. It was my second or third meeting with the boys. Johnny had a room in Shelley Rhodes' house, a Granada TV journalist slash presenter, who I vaguely knew through my dad. Uh, she wasn't the connection to Johnny, though. That was through our drummer, Bill Anstey, who, like, in Johnny's book, Bill Anstey just didn't like the Smiths from the very start. So, hardly, <laughs> hardly the drummer. Uh, anyways, that had also played with Sister Ray, one of Johnny's old bands. I had engineered some of the sessions at Decibel for Freak Party, another one of Johnny's bands. Johnny hung around Decibel a lot, rehearsing there, and at the time, we got on quite well together. It was there that he asked me to join with him and Steven and play bass. So, this is specifically made for Dale Hibbert. What did you think of the song? Um, well, so... I honestly, if I'm being completely transparent, I had no idea that this existed until you asked me to be like the guest on this episode and sent me the the topic and the uh, recording and everything. So uh, I think the novelty of it, just the idea that this is probably this track, I think, if I'm correct, is the earliest track, just chronologically. Isn't this the first one that they did out of these demos? Technically, yes. I think they recorded uh, Don't Blow Your Own Horn, which we'll talk about later first, but there's no recording of that. Or at least, there's no recording that we have. (laughs) Right. Right, okay, yeah. So, so yeah, I think just sort of the novelty of it, like, oh, this is sort of like an artifact of uh, one of the most loved bands. Um from that era um so that i thought was really cool i mean the track itself is i don't think anything to really shake a leg at um you know it's it's morrissey and it's uh johnny marr just sort of you know putting something out there together uh just vocals and guitar so like you said so that um dale Hibbert could learn the bass part um I mean, it's a demo. It was done on a Porter studio, like you had already said. So the the sound quality isn't great. Um, it's not really... Well, I mean, since it's a cover, it's not a Smith's original. Um, which, you know, I, I think is is fine. You know, it's... I don't love the... The, like, artistry of the track as much as I just think it's a really inter- interesting document of... Um, you know, sort of the genesis of this band that was going to, a little bit later, going to really blow up. Um, I think this is a really interesting uh, just sort of starting point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in Simon Goddard's book, Songs That Saved Your Life, The Art of the Smiths, 1982 to 1987, which is, I don't know, essential reading. <laughs> um, Definitely. This is This is what he notes on... I want a boy for my birthday. The cover was Morrissey's idea. And then he quotes Mar. I'd never heard it before, says Mar. But I thought, great, this will really freak him out. I was really happy to encourage it. <laughs> um, and I think that nice. just pretty much sums up the early Smiths is Morrissey going, let's do something really unconventional. And Johnny Marr going, absolutely. I am so here for it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, I'm sure, I mean, this would have been 82, right? Yeah, yeah. This was August 82, I want to say. Yeah, and that always throws me off, because for some reason I always thought that the Smiths formed in late 82, but no, it's really they started like playing bigger shows at the late eighty, yeah, at late eighty two stage. 
Right. Yeah, um, I think Manchester in 1982 was probably not the most receptive scene to a man singing about wanting a boy for his birthday. Um, I mean, like, if you think about, like, America in the 80s, um, you know, sort of the, the sort of revolution, like of sort of sexuality and stuff like that had already sort of happened. Um, I think that the greater half of the UK was still pretty buttoned down in, in the early eighties, as far as that goes. So yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure that would have been a really bold move for them back then. Oh, almost definitely. And I think they played this only, only once, maybe twice at, uh, at their first gig and then maybe at Manchester or not Manchester, the Manhattan sound, which was their second gig, but I kind of doubt it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just a cool piece of like Smith's history. This cool thing, like this very influential band that they have something like this for us to listen to. Like you were saying earlier, yeah, no, it's just a really cool little, like, nugget. <laughs> Anything else that you want to add? Like, I think this song, I think it sounds good just, like, to listen to. There's no, like, problems with it, necessarily. Yeah, um, no, I... But it's just not, like, you know, the Smiths, like, the the grand, like, <laughs> banner-waving, like, yeah, yeah no yeah i agree like it's like as far as being a demo like it's actually not a bad demo like it sounds pretty good um i could even think of like groups or artists today who would probably like intentionally try for like a lo-fi sort of sound like that that's kind of like an in thing right now but um yeah so it's not it's actually a very pretty song and i think that um you know, it, it's a really good demo. But yeah, I think you're right. It just doesn't really define what they would later on go on to do. Let's uh, let's move on to our next song, Ben. Uh, do we want to do Hand That Rocks the Cradle or Suffer Little Children? Hmm. Which, which of the two uh, depression songs do we want to talk about? Let's... I think let's talk about... Oh, go for it. I was, I was going to say uh, whatever you were about to say. <laughs> sure you were okay uh I, let, let's do the hand that rocks the cradle that actually is what i was gonna say all right so the hand that rocks the cradle is a song that actually was released as an official smith's release on the smith's debut album however the version that we're going to be talking about is the smith's demo version recorded uh, and engineered, really, by Dale Hibbert um, at Decibel Studios. Interestingly enough, um, according to Johnny Marr, Dale didn't even play bass on this song because he just couldn't get it right, and so Johnny ended up playing bass. <laughs> that that sounds really familiar. Uh, just you and I having both been in like bands and projects before, um, it's really hard to establish like a set like lineup and set sound early on like that so that that totally makes sense yeah it's uh it's not always the easiest and of course like johnny always knew that like i shouldn't say johnny always knew actually really what it was is johnny always loved andy's bass playing andy rourke was into heroin (laughs) And so Johnny was like, we cannot, I can't have, uh, I can't have my best friend be on heroin and be in this band where he'd be exposed, exposed to even more of that kind of stuff. But Dale Hibber always kind of seemed like a temporary solution. Yeah. No. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, uh, the rocks the cradle, this version at least. It seems to be, like, pretty good for the most part. Me, personally, 
I think that there's a few things about the track uh, that I like and dislike, but I want to hear from you. What 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 did you enjoy about it, Ethan? Um. Well, in terms of just like the structure of the song, yeah, it's it's pretty much the same idea as the the professional recording that would come later. But um I think the song starts off really well and then sort of falls apart in the middle. And then kind of towards the end they kind of get it back together. Um mm-hmm. but it's a very rough well, maybe like half rough. Half of it is is pretty good. And then the that sort of middle chunk is kind of kind of a struggle. Um but I think it's really interesting just the fact that they were going for sort of dark downery kind of stuff just to begin with it's it's very much like a sort of a blueprint of things to come um you can definitely see like okay this song has a lot of potential this just isn't a good recording of it you know what i'm saying yeah like um all right yeah i really don't think this version is all that great between dale not uh being able to play the bass line so johnny has to pick that up and then like johnny marr and morrissey they almost like lose each other midway through the song it's a demo for sure actually if you've ever seen uh have you ever seen sing street i have seen sing street i watched that with my girlfriend just the other day again oh fantastic um so when the band is like recording their first thing which is like a cover of rio by duran duran you can hear very faintly like one of the members going like that was great don't you think but like the actual recording is just awful yeah <laughs> like they're all like out of time and not quite hitting the right notes yeah that's kind of what it feels like here is like it's got the promise there but the cohesion 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 <laughs> that's that's not quite there yet yeah no i i 100% agree with you yeah it's it's very much a uh a oh uh, what would you say it's very much a rough out like okay we're just trying to figure out we're still trying to figure out how this song is going to be played but we know we want to play this one later on like this is a good song we just need to figure out how to play it yeah um but really that's all i have to say about the hand that rocks the cradle yeah there's Um, there's not much i want to say either i will say this it feels somehow darker (laughs) like both this and suffer little children somehow feel darker than their album versions oh absolutely yeah Let's see. Looking on the YouTube link for it. By the way, if you're listening to this, I'll make sure to post all of these links in the show notes so you are able to read them as well. Or not read them. Listen to them. Uh, One of the commenters says, Wow, such a different experience in this form. Their music always makes me breathe. I won't say how old I am at this point, but the sadness, the melancholy, the depression, the uncertainty... I never should have done it without them and others. Or I never could have done it without them and others. So, like, even early (laughs) on, like, the Smiths have this power to go, like, these emotions that you're feeling, we're putting them into music, you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it just so interesting that they just, from the very beginning, knew, like how to relate to those sorts of feelings in people Mm -hmm. like yeah that's that's fascinating i think that was always kind of the plan you know yeah songs to save your life songs to save your life exactly um let's talk about a song that's maybe not about saving your life but maybe talking a little bit about the ending of some other lives and how it affected Morrissey specifically. Yeah. Of course, this is Suffer Little Children. Mm, those poor little children. Yeah, so Suffer Little Children. Um, 
this was a song that you so you Kaz, you know the historical context of it a lot better than i do um but basically it, okay it, basically it's based on uh these serial killings that happened in manchester yeah pretty much yeah uh, greater manchester area yeah where yeah these these little kids were uh murdered um and it was like a big like big sort of community wound uh for a lot of people um in that area and so this this song sort of got especially them being from manchester uh being very much a manchester band this song sort of got them into some trouble <laughs> yeah yeah, no, for sure. To say the least. <laughs> um, yeah. This is the Smiths' first uh, brush with controversy. Granted, at this point, they're just recording a demo, so there's not really much controversy there, but when it actually hits, when they're performing it, and if I'm correct, I think they only perform it at their uh, at their debut show. Maybe they perform it at their second one. I forget. Um, so, again, going back to Simon Goddard's uh, Songs That Saved Your Life, he says that though Hibbert played bass on Hand That Rocks a Cradle, come the next track, the Moore's Murders Elegy Suffer Little Children, he was banished to the control loom, uh, room, leaving Marr to overdub a crude bass part of his own. Which I think is interesting, because it's like... Did 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 Bale play on any of this or <laughs> no? It's just conflicting uh, accounts, I think. Yeah. But he continues at seven minutes plus. The Decibel Suffer Little Children is a much longer prototype than what was finally to appear on the 1984 The Smiths. Though Wilson Cross' uh, pattern ri- pa- pattering rhythm was discernibly different from that later applied by Mike Joyce, Mars' basic melody was intact, if less pithy. So too was Morrissey's stirring baritone, utilizing wraith-like reverb for added drama, the only lyrical difference being the surplus lament from uh, Myra Hindley's conscience, Oh, what have you done? Um, and according to Dale in this book, there was a girl, a friend of Stevens, she just turned up towards the end and did this weird laughing. <laughs> and according to Mar, never saw her before, never saw her afterwards. She was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> i love that um and he reports that the mystery girl was annalisa jablonska who morrissey had previously named as being his girlfriend in correspondence with scottish pen pal robert Mackey. i don't know um if that's really true or if morrissey just wanted to say that he had a girlfriend yeah yeah that seems suspicious yeah. Um, and then there are a couple different accounts about this next bit. But there's something really interesting that I love about this version of Suffer Little Children that I don't think is on any other version. And that's this uh, this piano coda that's sort of added into the end. Right, right. Some accounts say it's Dale Hibbert that was playing the piano. Um, some say it was a cassette that Johnny brought in from, like, just rehearsing in his, uh, what do you call that, attic? <laughs> or his room or whatever. I don't, I don't even know. Um, but it, it's very chilling. Also, actually, I forgot about this. When they were recording that, Johnny went around to like a window with some kids playing outside and like stuck a microphone out and got sounds of them playing. So it was already like, you know, the Smiths are not only doing songs that are unconventional, they're adding unconventional elements to songs, such as just like taking natural sounds or like adding in a piano coda or further on in the catalog, of course. Morrissey will just bring in these records of like BBC sound effects <laughs> and they'll put those on because why not, you know? Yeah. And we can't forget the classic uh, meat is murder uh, zoo animals uh, sounds. 
<laughs> yeah, the abattoir. Oh yeah. Um, what 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 did you really like about this song, Ethan? Um, I I think you really sort of nailed all the big points. Um, yeah, I love. So this already the so for those of you who are listening, uh, who maybe haven't heard these tapes yet, uh, but you have heard like the Smiths albums or other versions of this song you'll know that this song is already sort of uh troubling in the way that it already exists now um but yeah i think that this version is so spooky just like um well and it's it's the the elements that they had in it like the piano coda and the kids playing and the laughing um but then also because it's a demo it's a much like rougher sort of sound so it's a little more um sort of like muffled um almost kind of like i don't know more more scratchy more uh just uh, more unsettling i think which i think serves the the lyrical content really well i think all right actually i hadn't even like thought about it this way or whatever but like the album version is almost like a thriller you know it's a little bit more highly produced this one is like a horror. <laughs> like it's a little bit more grimy and scary. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. I hadn't thought of it that way before. But it's evident that everything is here. Yeah, all of the all of the classic elements that would make the Smiths uh what they are in the next few years in this timeline. Um I think this this is probably my favorite out of all these recordings. Um because this one def out of all these, this one sounds the most like uh, classic smiths as as they would come to be known well no they they were they were just always the smiths they were never the classic smiths oh whatever. right 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 no th- that's that's my mistake that's <laughs> <laughs> we are the smiths not smiths we are not smiths we are the smiths this is for you listeners out there uh, this is a flash forward to next week's episode, but I I just got done recording an episode about that specific gig, the February 4th, 1983 Manchester gig, which today, since, you know, I'm recording both today, it is 40 years since that gig. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's crazy, right? It is crazy. And, you know, we're still pretty early on in, like, the Smith's career um doing this show right now and like uh we're going to go loosely chronologically but there's just so much interesting stuff right here that i want to talk about you know so we talk about these and then that next week and then in a few weeks we'll be able to talk about the smith's first official release hand in glove but we are far from that point (laughs) but exciting things to come for sure exciting things to come yeah so there's one smith song that we just don't have and it's a song called don't blow your own horn it's a morrissey and mar original and neither of them like it very much to the point where i don't even know if a tape even exists so that we could unearth it right yeah, very, very mysterious, this one. We don't even have, like, any sort of lyrics or anything to go off of. Ethan, I think uh, you had this really interesting point last time we recorded this about, like, the effect that not having something and potentially never having something has to feed obsession among fans. Oh, that's right. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I totally would have forgotten that. Um I think that, well, I'm sure this is probably true for I Want a Boy for My Birthday before that was released just recently. Um, But, yeah, I think this song, I think it's so interesting, like, amongst Smith's fans and I guess maybe curators would be a good appropriate term, sort of Smith's collectors. um, 
Oh yeah. There, sure. there are probably some folks who would like love to get their hands on this recording just for the completionist element of it. I think that's so interesting because, like you just mentioned, this is a song that neither, neither of the two men who wrote it like it, which means that it's probably not very good, <laughs> um, <laughs> or at least not great. And so I think that there's a sort of a, a value to things that are unobtainable like the fact that nobody aside from a few select persons have heard this track makes it so much more coveted when in reality it's probably uh probably nothing to sneeze at so yeah that that was the point that i was kind of making last time yeah i think i think did you tie it in with like smile or smiley smile oh yes that's right i did yeah smile um so it's another insight into me i'm a big beach boys fan um so smile was the big uh project that brian wilson took on uh in the late 60s i believe it was 66 or 67 um where he was trying to do this big concept album that was like totally different from anything the beach boys had ever done and He'd never, which is also wild considering Pet Sounds. Exists. Oh yeah, yeah. Like Pet Sounds was already breaking all sorts of boundaries. So if he had just made Pet Sounds, like that would have been already really revolutionary. But he he was trying to go for something even bigger than that, bigger, longer, more bombastic, all sorts of crazy instruments and sound effects and you know track ordering that like was supposed to line up with like some like mathematical concept or something um and he never finished it because one it was just a little too much uh, a little too big and like nobody other than him was really on board with it and also he was very schizophrenic at the time um and also doing a lot of drugs so that sort of ended that project and they kind of had to take what they could and put it into something else but that that never realized thing like there there have been versions of that album that have been recorded and released since like there's uh brian wilson just did like a solo album of him just going through the whole thing um and then we also have the smile sessions which is like a sessions uh compilation um but neither one of them he's 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 come out and said that neither one of them are the complete like vision that he had in his head so really nobody will ever really know what that is supposed to sound like and like it could have not even been very good like even in just the little nuggets of smile that we do have there's definitely some stuff that i really like and there's also stuff that i am not a big fan of because it's just too out there um but it's coveted because we don't know it the fact that like nobody has heard the full original idea the way that he planned it out is i think what makes it so talked about and mystifying even if it wouldn't have actually been very good and i think as fans we kind of have that element of like we want this so bad but it doesn't really work for us so well so like for example if we got it we'd probably have the same amount of disappointment as morrissey and mar yeah in um in Johnny Marr's autobiography, he mentions it in like two sentences and never again. He says, uh, we, Morrissey and I, talked for a long time about records and bands, and he asked me if I looked at the lyrics he had given me. I had. They were for a song called Don't Blow Your Own Horn, and I kicked around some chords for it, but what I was doing wasn't really knocking me out. And then in Songs That Saved Your Life, um, Simon Goddard says, uh, proceedings of, you know, Morrissey and Marr as a songwriting partnership got off to a clumsy start with Marr trying to make the best of a tune he hoped would fit some lyrics Morrissey had given him, quote, don't blow your own horn. We were kind of half doing it, says Marr. Sorry, let me do that in the Marr accent. We were kind of half doing it, <laughs> says Marr, says Marr, but neither of us, very, uh, neither of us liked it very much. It was quite a jaunty, strummy thing. It didn't cut it, and I don't think Morrissey really liked it either. We lived it. Uh, we lived with it 
for about a week and then decided not to bother with it. It's a very good impression. It's not. <laughs> I don't know. At, at some point it became like a beetle. It became just like a like a John Lennon. Uh not not quite John Lennon. That's probably more oh, Ringo that's, Star. No, that's what I meant. It was Ringo, yeah. Ringo. Yeah. John Lennon would be a little bit more uh a little bit more like this, don't you think? It's like a mix between Ringo and Bob Dylan, almost. <laughs> Just a very, like... <laughs> that's so yeah. funny. But that's, uh, that's the story of the Smiths' first recordings. A little clumsy, but with so, so much potential. Definitely. Yeah. No. And I think of, I think the biggest takeaway that I took away from this, um, was just the idea that even in their earliest, uh, sort of conception, there's just, if, you know, hang everything else, you know, if the instrumentation didn't really cut it or the, the playing or the cohesion of the band at the time, the one thing that was really there and really super duper solid was the songwriting and the the lyrics and also just like the way that they were putting the songs together. Um, and you can definitely tell uh, how much of the Smiths' success was uh, very much that relationship between Morrissey and Johnny Marr, um, just their songs that they wrote together. Um, and that, I think, is the biggest thing that stands out with uh, these absolutely like it, it, it it's about 50 50 for me about whether or not i want to go back to these demos but the fact that they exist at all is amazing yeah totally um yeah i i love the smith so much who would have guessed you're totally not wearing a meet his murder t-shirt right now no totally not <laughs> But anyways, all of this aside, why don't we move to our next section of the show? Indeed. So, Ethan, what do you remember about what we do for this section of the show? If you even know what section this is. Yeah, this is the sort of what are we listening to and what are we recommending to people uh, section. Yeah, so obviously we're going to throw some Smith songs in there. Probably the ones that we have access to. I'll say like, um, how about uh, Hand That Rocks the Cradle and Suffer Little Children, because obviously. And then like, maybe it's not a strictly smith song but we discussed it uh we'll put in the original cookies i want a boy for my birthday nice and then what what smith's song should we have to round out the full four um uh, it should probably be some early shouldn't it some that's sort of uh maybe something from the debut or something from hatful or something that kind of uh is sort of in the same not in the same year, but sort of this kind of early era of songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it could even just be like a song that you feel has influenced you a ton. Because, you know, you're the guest this week. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, you know which Smith song I really love? I didn't even think about this one earlier. Uh, the single that they did in 87? uh ask is one of my all-time favorite smith songs 86 86 okay yeah 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 that one is lyrically and just mood wise um got me through a lot of just like shyness and depression and sort of social anxiety uh the whole vibe of the song is just hey you know if there's something that you want to try ask me i won't say no why would i or how could i you know, yeah. it's just like, hey, like if you want to do something, we can do it. If you want to stay indoors and 
write frightening verse to a bucktooth girl in Luxembourg. Um, we can do that too if that's your prerogative. Uh, <laughs> you know, we can do whatever. Yeah. It's just kind of I don't know. It's a very like warm, uh, kind of comforting song. It's a very happy like, uh, you know, shimmery guitars sort of sound. So I I like that one a lot. All right, so we've got our Smith songs out of the way. I shouldn't say out of the way. This is a Smith's podcast, but we've got them figured out. Yeah. What have you been listening to recently? What do you want to recommend to the people that are listening to the podcast? Hmm. So recently I've been going through a lot of different uh, things. Um, I'm listening to a lot of new stuff recently. Um, I've been really digging into So another sort of little factoid about me and... Kaz is that we're both really big fans of the whole uh, Nate Roos, Jack Antonoff uh, cinematic universe. <laughs> all the all the the their own projects and also the ways they like intersect. Um, so we're big fans of, like the format, um, fun stuff like that. Um, yeah, format, fun, bleachers, bleachers. So bleachers. So. Jack Antonoff's band. He had a band before that that I I didn't even know about until recently. Um, it's a band called Steel Train, and I'm just pulling that up right now. Um, yeah, they had a band called Steel Train, um, and I'm a big fan of their uh, 2010 album that is simply just called Steel Train. Um, and track number three is, uh, you and I undercover. I'm a big fan of that one recently. Um, really just that whole album is good, but if there was a a track that I had to pick, I would say you and I undercover is my favorite one. All right. All right. Good pick. What, what, what more you got? So yeah, so that's Steel Train. So I've also okay. So a lot of this stuff is stuff that my girlfriend has sort of been opening me up to. Um, so she turned me on to Steel Train, and then also just recently I've been going through uh, the album Red, not the original, which I've heard the original one before, and it's very very good, um, very landmarky. Uh, but recently I've been listening to the, her, uh, re-recorded one that she did for, uh, copyright reasons. She didn't have the rights to those original songs. Oh, t- so. Taylor Swift's right. Yeah. 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 So, oh, sorry. I, yeah. Taylor Swift. This, this is Taylor Swift that we're talking about. Yeah. Taylor Swift's red. Um, so because she didn't have the rights to those songs, uh, she decided to go back from scratch, just re-record the whole album and also put in some, some little nuggets of new stuff. Um, and I am a big fan of, big fan of Treacherous. That's track three. And also the, the one that I had shared with me, Begin Again, is another really wonderful one from that album. That was specifically one that, uh, my girlfriend Lindsay shared with me that I really really love so i would say begin again and treacherous are two that should go on that playlist all right sounds good yeah and then on my end i think i want to say like we should put kimberly by patty smith on there because oh hand that rocks the cradle is pretty much based off of uh kimberly like musically at least yeah um so that makes sense to just put that on there. Absolutely. And then, um, let's see. So there is a uh, this band that I'm a I'm a fan of out here in the Provo music scene, um, and they're called Train Surfing. I just happened to like see their first show a couple years ago at this point, maybe only a year ago, but I think they're really good. Kind of like a almost Gothic shoegaze, (laughs) I guess. Um, But they have an EP called bitter. And I think the title song from that bitter is very good. Uh, It's got this 
big old lead line that I just think is a ton of fun. And then these sort of heavier guitars. Um, and I just think it works out pretty, pretty dang well. Um, and I'm fans of them. So nice. Oh, and then, um, I guess by the time that this comes out today, my, uh, my single or my next single, I should say called in love has just come out. So for anybody that doesn't know, in addition to obsessing about the Smiths and running this podcast and all that good stuff, I also am a musician in my own right, and I release music under my own name, Kazmir Hurd, K-A-S-M-I-R-H-I-R-D. And so uh, the song is just basically, um, how, how would you say this? The sort of slap happy feeling of falling in love, like nothing could possibly go wrong and this is like exactly what it feels like (laughs) um yeah the very very heady days of falling in love and i just think it's a ton of fun it makes sense that it be released in february and when the larger ep comes out putting this part in uh in verbal brackets it'll actually kind of be a little bit more ironic because the rest of the EP is pretty much about, like, the dissolution of not only relationships, but about, like, the way that you go about approaching love in general, I guess. So, you know, uh, uh, have a little ignorance currently, and then, you know, you can have uh, your heartbreak later. (laughs) Yeah, if anybody needs an endorsement, um, yeah, Kaz's music is very good, so uh, go check it out, or else. Or else, and then, you know, you put up your fists and you 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 kind of shuffle them back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> like a like 1940s style. Yeah. Like a, like a boxer that you only ever see in, like, brown and white. Not even black and white. <laughs> like Thomas Edison's uh, first screen test of, like, boxers or whatever. Exactly, yeah. So I think that rounds out our playlist for... Uh, for this week let's uh move into our granted a little bit short next segment all right so this next segment of the show is basically like our mail segment where we want to hear from you we want to be able to read your stories and to be able to really get the most out of the smith's community so if you'd like to write into the show and interact with us, you can do so by finding us either through our email, which is smithcyclopedia at gmail.com. That is S-M-I-T-H-S-C-Y-C-L-O-P-E-D-I-A at gmail.com. And, you know, write us your stories about, like, sharing the Smiths with friends or, like, an interaction that you've had with the song, or even, like, listening to the podcast, we want to be able to hear from you. Or you can uh, find us through our social media at Cyclopedia, spelled the same way, on Instagram or on TikTok. And one that I want to uh, shout out here is a user named Red Hysteria. Excuse me. Red dot Hysteria. Uh, on our Instagram, reposted like a or put on his story a screen cap of him listening to the second episode of the podcast, saying "best podcast ever," and then a little crown emoji. Thank you. I'm I'm giving you a little a little finger heart right now. <laughs> Thanks, Red. Please write in. We we love hearing from you. We we would love the company. It's true. If there's one thing Smith fans needs, it's people to uh, people to actually pay attention to them, <laughs> which is certainly cute. Not cute. Certainly cute. Oh my goodness. Certainly true. <laughs> in my case. Uh, I have a quick funny story off of uh, okay. Smith fans needing friends. Um, so the killers, right? Uh, Brandon Flowers and Company. So there's a book that's like an un an unauthorized biography of the Killers that I recently came across. 
And in the first chapter, it sort of introduces Brandon as the only Smiths fan in Nephi, Utah, and <laughs> the only person in the high school who never had a girlfriend. So. <laughs> Uh, I love Brandon Flowers, man. I do too. He's such a such a nice guy. But yeah, again, we want to hear more from you guys. You can also leave a rating for the podcast and communicate with us that way. Um, I'll mostly be paying attention to like the ratings on Apple Podcasts because that's the app that I use. Um, but you can also find us, of course, on Stitcher or Spotify and really like rating the podcast five stars helps immensely, not only to uh, show other users that are looking at us like, no, they are trustworthy or trustworthy. They're a good podcast. I <laughs> don't message me your personal information. I won't do anything with it, but it's just irresponsible. <laughs> um but it also helps with like the algorithm. It shows that it shows to the um, what would you say? The application, the uh, platform, the podcast platform that we are a podcast that should be recommended to other people. Absolutely. So leave us a funny review. Um, tell us that we're very handsome, very charming. That the only thing to be in 2023 is handsome. Handsome devils. <laughs> um, yeah, you can tell I just uh, watched that uh, that performance. That's a good performance. Are you going to do an episode on that? It's the next episode. Oh, that, Tune oh. in next week, guys. Tune in next week, yeah. Well, Ethan, I think this is... Uh, the end of our podcast anything that you uh you want to bid farewell to for our uh, our listeners um well goodbye to this uh incubatory phase of the smiths and uh get ready for a whole lot of uh really nice uh growth and awesome music that sounds fantastic to me <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Definitely leave that in. Um. <laughs>